Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Welcome to the Injector Diaries, Jake. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) I couldn't have done it without you. (laughs) Yeah, guys, this is our new, I guess, episode type. Yeah. And I'm going to give David credit for coming up with the concept. So tell us all about it, mate. I have one good idea a year. So that's it. You're done for the next six. And one good joke. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so the the idea for this sort of mini series was discussions we were having during the lockdown about you know, you, you wanted to do an internal survey with our listeners to find out what, what they like, what resonates with them, what sort of content they want moving forward. And um, the feedback that we got was they enjoyed the personal stories. They enjoyed hearing what made people tick, what made them get into this, you know, this field. Um, and from there, well, I mean, you, you, you take it from there. What, when like, <laughs> so I'm trying to change the camera angle at the same time, <laughs> guys. If, if obviously you can't see us yet because we're not on YouTube yet, but we're trying to we're trying out our camera angles. Um, yeah. So in our internal survey, thank you for the guys who who did respond. We got quite a few um, responses back, and it was really insightful. Sorry it was long, but it really did help us sort of generate a few ideas. And also, you know, what didn't work so well, it, it really helped with that feedback. So thank you. Yeah. And shout out to Rana Keneally and Miranda Pierce who yes gave up a lot of their time to talk with us on the phone and tell us all the shit that we were doing wrong and all the things that we, <laughs> we need to be doing better. Well, you know, it's interesting to learn from ex-guests as well as just, you know, listeners as well. And, you know, people like Miranda as well, they're running their own channels. So interesting to, to get their insights. So thank you. And um, yeah, look, we, we I guess we confirm what we thought that the injecting stuff is really, really what's resonating. Many of you are injectors. So, you know, shout out to you guys. And so, yeah, this is going to be more of a, story about injectors around the world, but also just um, picking their brain about what has and hasn't worked. Tell us, you know, insights into their business, um, why they choose the products they like and all that stuff that, you know, it's just interesting. And all the uh, the crazy client stories. We love crazy client <laughs> slash patient stories. We love all, we love all that stuff. So it's, it's about, and I guess the people that we've selected to start with are people that are our listeners. So we've gone through our Instagram followers and had a look at everyone and yeah. some people that we've spoken to, people that send us messages all the time. So don't be surprised if you get an email or a DM from us <laughs> asking if, you, if you'd like to come on. But we thought that was an obvious place to start. Yeah. And actually, you know, if, if you are listening and you're thinking, do you know what, I'd love to go on and, and share my story. If you've got, you know, maybe something unique about your practice or you're doing something different or maybe just, you know, you just feel like you'd, you'd have a really good conversation with us please dm us at inside aesthetics podcast or just um hit the link under our instagram bio and you can text or email us as well just reach out we're happy to to hear you know from all of you and and if we think it'll make a good podcast we'll we'll do it yeah great yeah please the more the merrier we obviously don't have all the great ideas we've got some ideas but (laughs) we're not all of the ideas so we look forward to hearing from you and we really hope you enjoy this new mini series take care guys Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> We're good. I wondered if you're you're not in pink scrubs, are you? 
No. No, no, just normal top. <laughs> well, you got your fancy pig scrubs on for us. Scrubs are for the hospital. I don't like scrubs in the clinic. <laughs> we love we love a good scrub. Yeah, I feel I feel left out. I don't. I've never got to wear scrubs before. Oh, you can really. We should have IA scrubs. We should do that. Yeah. yeah why not? Just for. So you can make fun of me and say I'm not a real doctor. Are they going to be pink? <laughs> I, I, for the right price, I will. Yeah, no. You, you do that. I'll, I'll be in standard black and white. <laughs> How are you going, Caitlin? Thanks for joining yeah. us in episode episode one, episode one of Injector Diaries. But do we okay. call it episode one or, or do we carry on with the – it will get really confusing if we go back to episode one. Uh, well, it's, in, it's episode one of this miniseries, but it's yes. episode 144 or five. Something like don't that. don't even know anymore now. It's too many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. How's things going down in Melbourne? You guys are opening in a week, is it? Yeah. That's what my morning has been all about, um, sitting in the balcony enjoying some sunshine and – Playing Tetris with bookings. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I did that a couple of weeks ago. I know what a head fuck it can be, but um, it's exciting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, why are we here? We're here to talk about you, Caitlin, because, well, we first met at Cosmeticon about a year ago. And yeah. you, which is a conference, which in is Australia. a conference in Australia. It took place in Double Bay. It was actually the first conference back after the initial lockdowns. Yeah, that's so right. It was, a, it was a joyful experience to get out and <laughs> see and meet people again. Um, and we had a yeah. conversation around um, the podcast, and you talked to us about an idea of, of sort of talking to some injectors. You know, potentially, um, you know, just people who we might meet um, at the conference, people that listen to the podcast, find out who they are, what they do, what makes them tick. And then we ran into each other again in Sydney a couple of weeks ago and it's sort of just yeah. serendipity um, did its thing and, and here we are to have a chat. Yeah, so yeah. our first Injector Diary guest, so thank you for joining us. Do you want to give the the listeners listening just a bit of a flavour of, you know, who you are, what your background is, how many years you've been injecting and where you're currently working? Um, yes, yeah, so I'm Caitlin. I am, my Instagram handle is Pompey. Uh It has been around since I think about 2017, 2018. I was just trying to work this out today. COVID times, the couple last couple of years have gone by, and I'm like, do they count? Do they not count? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think your uh, your audio went funny. It was plump me, not pump me, right? Yeah, yeah plump. plump. <laughs> There's definitely an L in um, there. Yeah. We're just making that clear. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit fun. It's a different name, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and I started that, and I started injecting injecting probably yeah three four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I was a registered nurse. I still work as a registered nurse in a hospital setting. So my background in nursing is in uh, perioperative nursing, which is theatre nursing, and mm-hmm. mostly doing anaesthetics and recovery nursing. Brilliant. So some people know what that is. Um, and that's actually how I originally learned about nurses being able to do Botox is doing some private work. Obviously, lots of private plastic surgeons. They have nurses injecting in their rooms. And I'm a bit nosy and always interested to learn new <laughs> things. And then, uh, yeah, so it's got, got that exposure. Thought about it, obviously, for a little bit of a while, thinking about how I would get into the industry, if I would like injecting, how I'd go about dealing with clients. I used to be a lot more shy then than I am these days. <laughs> so that was a big um, hurdle for me, is learning how to be personal to a variety of different clientele. You'd um, understand that as well. You have to be able to appeal to a lot of different people. And most of the time when you're injecting, 
you have to do the talking because it's really hard to have needles in your face and talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So I started working in a chain clinic and then in, well, this will be launching after this lockdown will be me stepping out on my own. Mm, Wow, exciting. Well, that's actually... For the listeners listening, each of these, I guess, Injector Diaries episodes will have their own little flavour. So, you know, perioperative nurse working in a big chain clinic, which I know we'll get into as into what that actually means, because a lot of countries don't have chain clinics. And then, you know, I guess your motivation and plans of how you're going to reach out. I think a lot of injectors have that kind of limbo of what do I do? How do I do it? So maybe you can give us some insights. Yeah, absolutely. Um Working in in theatres as a perioperative nurse, particularly in anaesthetics, what do mm. you think that's done for your practice? And, in, and when I'm in practice, like you know, the way you talk to clients, the way you you know might deal with emergency situations. Just curious to understand what impact that's made for you and, and, and the value you see there. Um, I think it's definitely a huge impact. So working in anywhere in acute, you deal with a lot of rapid um, assessments with patients. So when you're walking into you know, an anesthetic area or in recovery, you have this eye eye scan of patients. So you rapidly assess them, their hemodynamics, their mental state and everything like that. So I think that sort of assessment skills is really important for me with my patients. So I'm able to get more information out of them without even having those conversations a lot of the time um, in terms of medical history, background. Um, In terms of medications and exposure to people's medical morbidities and mortalities so understanding what it means if someone's on a certain medication um understanding what it means if they say that they've had a heart attack um and the relevance of that to me as an injector as well um and yeah i think that a lot of people wouldn't really understand how that translates to the possible issues that we would face even just people having had rhinoplasties that can impact what we do and how we do it um could we wouldn't directly think that if you haven't been exposed to that surgical side sometimes, but knowing how sometimes someone that's had five rhinoplasties, the you know, facial arteries and their anatomy can vary a lot um, and that would change what you're going to do in terms of if you're going to do nasolabial folds or anywhere, anywhere near mid-face. Um, it would definitely impact on safety and stuff like that. Um, aside from that, I think that working in anesthetics, you are exposed to a very vulnerable side of a person. And I think very relevant to being an injector, you are exposing yourself to a very vulnerable side of a person. Being able to respect that um, and not take advantage of that is really important for me as well. Um, in terms of, you know, your morals and your ethics, that's, you know, important to make sure that you're doing everything that is not only just going to make us money, obviously we're businesses, we need money to function, but it's going to be in the best interest and well-being for a patient in terms of their mental health, their physical health um, and their long-term well-being. Yeah, I think that's really insightful, Caitlin. Um, you know, there are a lot of obviously injectors out there starting on their journey. We've got this sort of um, phenomenon in Australia where a lot of nurses don't want to do any I guess, hospital or GP work, they want to go straight into injecting. So I think that's given a flavour of why, you know, either juggling sort of working alongside an injecting career and carrying what you're doing, or at least having a baseline experience in, in, in a hospital setting is really valid. But, you know, 
what's your view on nurses coming in into the industry without that experience? I mean, do you think it's okay? Do you think people can be upskilled sort of retrospectively or or do you think that moving forwards, you know, maybe the, the goalposts might change and it will be mandatory to sort of have a baseline qualification? Um, that is an interesting question. I do have a good friend who went straight into injecting. I had done some uni um, with her as well. So actually, I think she ended up being a student on my, one of my, uh, I was, she was a student on placement with me at one stage as well. Um, so I have seen both sides. I'm not going to say, no, you can't do something because I think it's always down to the individual. Mm-hmm. Any person that is driven and super passionate can upskill themselves on any level. Um, it just depends. I, I personally think that having done a graduate year, having been exposed to the medical industry, particularly in acute areas, gives you that ability to safely work autonomously. Uh, aut- autonomously. I hope you edit out these no. stupid... This is- <laughs> we, don't, we don't get rid of any boo-boos. Everything stays. Oh, no. <laughs> Apart from if it's me. Autonomously. <laughs> yeah. Then if Jake stuffs something up, then it's edited to within an inch of its life. Oh, no. Yeah, so it gives you that um, ability to work autonomously, which really it's very satellite working in terms of injectors in a lot of... Um, clinic spaces it's I'd probably say most injectors work um with a satellite connection to someone else medically um so I think it's important to have at least one or two years experience in the hospital I think I even I've noticed some courses are starting and a lot of the industry um, places you go to apply I think even chain clinics now are are wanting people that have had one to two years experience as a nurse yeah as a baseline yeah yeah. yeah, and I guess it's 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 not just um, the physical side of things. It's as you said, the emotional and and um, personal side in understanding how to read patients, even dealing with conflicts when things go wrong. You know, having mm. the, having that empathy, being able to you know have those difficult conversations sometimes can be hard if you haven't actually had to do it in the real life um, in those sort of settings, particularly when you're on your own in a lot of these clinics where you're the only person there medically trained. Yeah, I remember um, when doing grad years that there was a statistic saying that you are going to make a mistake as a grad. How you deal with that mistake is going to be important. And I think if you don't have someone overseeing you and guiding you when you make a mistake, and I'm not saying injectors don't make mistakes because we certainly do, um, and people that aren't, people that experience can still make mistakes. But I think having someone overshadowing you and having a support system in that first year as a nurse, I think that would speak volumes of how you continue to grow and change and have that ability to um, critique yourself and your practice as well. I think that would be one of the important factors. Yeah, we weren't planning to ask that question, but I'm glad that we did. Very, very (laughs) interesting stuff. Um, In terms of the motivations for you, I mean, so you're in anesthetics, you're working in a hospital setting, and what is it that sort of appeals to you to sort of start looking to what many consider to be, you know, the dark side of nursing or the dark side of medicine? You know, you, you sort of, you know, it's the, it's the dark arts, you know, you, you're sort of moving into a, a super commercial. Yeah I, still, yeah, I still get those uh, looks and that um, quizzical like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, you do cosmetic nursing as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, I think I love the scary, dramatic side of, um, and even just the day-to-day joy of the anesthetics. And I like the autonomy. I like the flair and the flavor of injecting. Um, we don't have pink scrubs at work, so yeah. <laughs> I need to put my pink vibe somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you, start, you said you started in a chain clinic and you're going to branch out soon. 
Yeah. David and I know what a chain clinic is and every Australian probably does, but there are a lot of countries out there that don't have that sort of model. So can you just sort of paint a picture for the listeners about what, what do we mean by that and what's available and, and what's your role there? So a chain clinic is, uh, it's a franchise and it's a multi-chain franchise. So it would be somewhere that offers a variety of basic um, treatments. So mm-hmm. laser, some basic skin therapies and injectables. And it gives the nurse an opportunity to be able to work within a space. In my opinion, it gives them someone that, somewhere that has an existing client base Um, an existing overarching um, head office that has protocols and standards and um, training protocols and training standards and training scheme. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a really good place, I think, for someone junior to start. Um, In terms of for me personally, I found that I wasn't able to have a high volume of clientele to um, build up, you know, my own existing basis and exposure doing more treatments. I think if you were to start on your own without an existing client base, you would be struggling to keep up in top, on top of your knowledge and your skills because mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily always be able to do those um, new techniques or new treatment areas or new fillers or new products that you had just learned because you don't always have the right patients. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, getting that experience, especially after you've been freshly trained where you need to get in there and, and sort of, you know, get your hands dirty, so to speak, and actually start doing these treatments, you know, that the quicker you can get your um, mind around the different, you know, anatomy, different type of patients you're going to have to talk to, it just really speeds up your development as an injector. You know, working in a chain clinic for two years might be the equivalent of working, you know, on your own for five years, six years maybe before you'd actually see that volume of patients. So, you know, whilst, you know, I think all of us have got things to say about chain clinics, you know, good and bad. You know, I think this is definitely a positive that that has worked very well for the industry. Oh, yeah. Look, even I moved from the UK and I had my own little side business on the side when I was doing surgery, but I was seeing small volumes of people come to Australia, start working at your place, David, and Mm. it was mad, you know, seeing... 10, 20 people a day, a shift. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying you use it as as sort of such a learning experience that you're experimenting, but you're learning just by experience. And you're doing simple things, you're building up, you're understanding the market in a new country, you're understanding how to converse with, you know, different sort of patient groups. And, yes, it's it's a great place to learn from, I think, for an injector. Yeah, and then then you left and took all my clients, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) A handful followed me and I said, look, you've got to go out to Dave. And they said, no. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. Back to you, Caitlin. <laughs> no, but joking um, aside, like what, what's available? So so patients come in, it's high volume like we've, we've discussed. What are the common things are people asking for and what couldn't you do that you now want to do, you know, moving out of that sort of model? So the... Um the clients would be no different than what you'd see in a normal clinic. So I'd say initially the quality of clients I don't think is any different. Mm-hmm. It still um, is same people that people see in private clinics and plastic surgery clinics. Um, in terms of what they're requesting, sometimes they come in knowing a lot less. Mm-hmm. I think that's why because they're initially just starting at the bottom of the tier <laughs> of yeah. places that they could go to. Ent- entry level um, we call that, Caitlin. Yeah. Ent- entry level, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's an entry-level place for the common people, but also people that have money still go there. So it's not that affluent people don't go there. 
Um, and I would say that they come in, sometimes they, sometimes they know what they want. Sometimes they're literally first time, never seen anyone, don't even know how botulinum toxin works, um, or, and have no idea what fillers are and getting the two confused. Yeah. By the way, that, um, that's Jake cracking open your second beer. Sorry. <laughs> I'm on day Is nine of 21 in a row, yeah. so... I'm, I'm letting off some steam. He's already had 10. That, that actually is a beer he's drinking. It legitimately is. is it's low like carb though. He's, yeah. got that, he's got the abs in mind. It's low carb. Look at that. It's low carb. Yes. Look at that. Yeah. Super ham. I'm currently doing a juice cleanse. So. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Is it, is, what, what's, my... what's that experience like? Oh, well, I just had soup and it was, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to go to bed after this just so that I don't sit here and starve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think the thing is as well, um, the chain clinics tend to have one or two or very limited stock in terms of fillers and which brand that they affiliate themselves with, obviously, mm-hmm. because the one that the more that they affiliate with one specific brand, they get it at a bulk, more discounted price, yeah. um, which, you know, being a chain clinic, franchise, money, profit, that's all the idea. Um, so then going out on my own, it is great to be able to test and try and hand select specific fillers that I know that I've used or been trained on that I like in specific areas rather than being stuck by a specific brand affiliation. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I'm not saying that I don't like specific brands that they don't do and don't have in the chain clinics, um, but it's just that the market is rapidly developing. So yeah. there's yeah. always going to be something new and exciting to try that they will take ages to get through head office and all their protocols and trainings. Um, so hand selecting all those specific types of fillers that I want to tailor for my clients. Um, and then just having more time to sit and assess and go through the treatments as well as important. Tell us about how you trained originally, because you've been injecting for three or four years now. And did Mm. you start at the chain clinic or did you work elsewhere prior? Like, you know, tell us how you sort of learned your basic injecting. So I did have some basic I would inverted comments call it training. I would just call it exposure in um, private hospital practice sort of setting, um, which was enough to say, yeah, this looks cool. I would like to try this and pursue proper courses. And then I did, and I saw that they were like ten to twenty thousand dollars. I went, mm, mm. okay, yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of money to spend on a career that you don't know if you're going to be any good at. Don't know how you're going to build clients. Don't know how you're going to do this. How you're going to do that. Um, so then I kind of put that to rest. And then a few months later, through a friend, um, I was I found out that the chain clinic was hiring people um, and then had an interview, so normal interview process you would with, with any job, except for it was like, hmm, you're actually not trained. And I was like, no, but I'm a great nurse. And at the time I was doing my postgrad degree. Um, so I'm like, and I've got all this experience. So uh, it's not that I don't have, experience relevant in the nursing industry I just don't have specific relevant technique so um, find a way to teach me that I'm happy to discuss and be open to it Um, and then we'll go from there so from that we then decided that I'd do a training course which was not the boot camp style, style sort of thing that some chain clinics offer and yeah and then I did a lot of on the job training and then when I learned about that there's conferences and that you can do all these advanced nurse days, I kept doing that. Um, I'm basically having been in the practice of having do, having done 
um, postgrad studies and nurses have to do CPD. I kept that every year I would have to do every three to four months, I'd have to do some kind of course mm-hmm. myself to keep my skills as an injector relevant, um, to keep progressing myself and keep being able to grow and do and be more. Yeah. I was going to say that there's a bit of a chicken and egg dynamic that nurses or, or even doctors sort of have where they want to get in the, in the industry. They approach a company who's offering injectables and they say, you know, hello, I'd like to work here. Can you train me? And then the company says, well, you need to train first and then we'll employ you. And you sort of go round in circles and wonder where you go. And you must have had that when, when nurses have approached you yeah. for a job. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, and I'm lucky I've worked within an organisation that, you know, provides training for nurses that want to come on and are happy to sign, you know, a contract for a period of time so that, you know, they're not going to get the training for free and then just sort of disappear two seconds later. So, you know, yeah. it's been it's been very useful having that that um, to help because the injectable side of the business, well, all businesses in this industry has just grown immensely. Mm. So there's definitely been a shortage of um, people in the workforce wanting to take on this career. And there's also been people like yourself who've, you know, um, done the hard yards, done the learning, done the training, got the experience up. And now you're thinking, well, you know, I've got all this skill and experience. Why don't I go out and have a go at doing this on my own? So it's it's been moving really quickly, this industry. Mm. Um, it just seems mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's, it's changing almost on a daily basis. I don't know if you can elaborate, Caitlin, on, on what you meant by the boot camp, because, you know, yes. I've worked within, you know, the chain clinic, so I understand what that means. But for listeners abroad who might be offering their own training or, or own their own clinic and wonder how to deliver training, I, I think it's quite... Yeah. In fact, I probably think it's Australia's better, if not best, way of teaching yeah. new injectors how to how to get their sort of basic foundation skills. But also, it's probably the longest yeah. uh, training course that I know of. It's, it's eight weeks, is it? Yeah, I think yeah. it varies depending. I think, yeah, I've seen it from six to nine weeks depending yeah. on the number of people and, and so on. So t- tell us about, um, you know, what you know about it, Caitlin, and maybe David can just sort of chip in. Yeah, I do actually know quite a bit because they were running one recently in Melbourne for some of the new injectors starting at the chain clinic. So I think you're all right. I think it's eight to 12 weeks. And then they're trying not to make it too long or too short. Mm-hmm. Um, and it covers, it, it's quite comprehensive. Looking at the um, the uh, physical skill application is quite similar to what you'd be doing on an assessment if we were to do um, a grad set or a grad dip in cosmetic nursing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So you go in and you learn um, theory modules. And I think there's some sort of online module you do through one of the affiliate companies as well. And then each week you learn new treatment areas. So whether it's the Botulian toxin on this brand or this brand, they'll have a training day where the brand that offers Botox comes in and teaches about Botox. And then I'll have a training day where the brand that offers Discord will come and treat them. Um, and they go from every treatment area that is on label, mm-hmm. um, which means that uh, so on label is the normal prescribing treatment areas. And then, then the next week they'll start with fillers and they start with cheek fillers and then they progress to lip fillers and then they progress to um, like chins and jaw lines. And I don't think they do advanced areas, but I might be wrong. What did you yeah, know? Uh, yeah. So from, from what I know, cause I've never done the boot camp cause I'm not a nurse or a doctor. Um, <laughs> you know, no, no, no. Don't tell my parents that, <laughs> um, that um, it goes for um, six to eight weeks 
Um, and in terms of what they actually teach you, um, it starts off with obviously, um, as you said, the toxins, so understanding indications, complications, um, you know, issues that might crop up, might crop up with patients and, and so on. And then with the fillers, they, they walk out using able to use needle for cheeks and lips only. And then mm-hmm. they have to go on further training after that if they want to start using cannula and then moving on to advanced areas like, you know, sort of jawline, chin and so on. So it's it's very much staged and they have to have got a certain number of treatments under their belt and be able to show competence before they move on to yeah. to the next stage. It's interesting. I mean, because I trained for one of the companies, um, it's always fascinated me that we go from cheek to lip. Lip's quite complex. It's, you know, it's difficult. Yeah. It's quite a tricky area you know if you haven't got the motor skill yet it, it can be difficult and yet because australia is such a demand for lip filler that that drives how we train people whereas in other markets it might be very different so it's just if you're listening wondering wow they go from cheek to lip well that's just what the market demands and so new injectors mm. have to have that skill straight off the bat lips was the first thing i was trained on <laughs> yeah there you go um and it is true it's driven by demand rather than by what you would probably do is um an intermediate area to Mm -hmm. advance in terms of the advancing your training as well post the um boot camp there is opportunities for that nurse that was new to the industry to keep up um, those skills and keep training into the advanced areas but i think as well they make sure that you do like they stage it by three or six months so you're not overburdened by all this new information all this training all of a sudden so that you have the time to finesse your skills and your understanding of specific areas as well. Yeah. If you could design your training differently, what would what would you change if you sort of not knowing what you know now and you could critique it? Well, hindsight is yeah. amazing. I, I probably, I think I'm really lucky because I don't think you can enter the industry how I did anymore. Um, and I think that I'm happy with how I progressed it. And I think just being driven how I am, that I was able to keep, um, learning and practicing and trying new different techniques. And I also made sure that if I wasn't um, happy with an area that I would make sure that I'd go and get further training. Uh, the other thing I was going to say about working in chain clinics is you, well, I'm lucky because where I work, there's a couple days where we have two nurses on because the clinic's that busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have someone you can shadow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some really experienced nurses there that have been nurses since before I was even a nurse, before I actually had finished high school. <laughs> there you go. Um, so they offering their expertise and skills and guidance is also good as well. So I think that you learn really well from every single person you'll ever meet and train with, and um, it's great that you, that you can do a one course where you learn specific things um but then also that's not where your training ever ends i think you always should um try what i've done which is every six months do some kind of training course because you'll always learn something new um and whether it's a skill whether it's a new filler or whether it's something extra to know about safety there's always there's never it's never ending you're never mm. going to know everything i don't think we planned this question but it's a it's a Interesting question. What's the best course or conference that you've been to in Australia, if not abroad? Like, Where, where do you think offers the best value or just, you know, rounded uh, education? Hmm. I think that is an interesting question that I... <laughs> Didn't plan for. <laughs> <laughs> I have been to, um, like, I think it 
And one of the best ones I ever went to was the Mauricio de Mayo one. Mm-hmm. I think he is just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, phenomenal. So he and that he's injecting, seeing him injecting really live. He's a super advanced injector. So I could look at him and see him do 10 mils and I'd be like, I can't catch up to you. I'm not going to be where you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe in 10 years' time. Um, but yeah, just seeing. And I think that was a really good one because it's the first time I've seen someone. I think that was the first time they introduced talking about the emotions mm-hmm. um, and treating someone's emotions yeah. and relaying that to certain physical attributes in the face and then relaying that then to a level of where can we apply filler to then, you know, go backwards rather than, because people come in often being like, I look tired and you're like, okay, well, do I just treat that, that area, that tired area, or do I look at the face a little bit more holistically? Um, Yeah. So that was the MD code tour. Yes, that's correct. That's was three years ago. Yeah, he hasn't been here in a while because of, you know, pandemics and plagues of locusts and (laughs) Mm. (laughs) everything else that we've had in Australia. It's been mad, hasn't it? And so obviously obviously besides um, Dr. DeMau and and Dr. Sloan, who else are your mentors? Who else else do you look up to? Dr. Sloan. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Taylor looks up to me. He is the new Richard DeMayo here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, t- he's mentoring me, but I wouldn't say that. He's He's got a long way to go still, I think. Who, you or well, he? No, does? I have. Oh, right. I have. No, not him. I have. Sorry, did I say he? Yeah. I meant me. I've got a long he way to go. He needs to mentor you better, it seems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So keep yeah. the mentor. Yeah, um, yeah. So aside from that, um, I think, you know, even as injectors, we know this because we follow each other. Instagram and social media is, is a big thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember following Alex Pike since before I even was an injector. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe she started in a chain clinic as well. Um, and I would probably other people I'd say would be um, the functional nurse, Maddie Woolens, I think her name is. Mm-hmm. Um, she's up in Queensland. Again, following her for a very long time. Um, and aside from that, yeah, mentors would be like all my colleagues, like all my friends and family. Every time I go to a conference, I meet someone new that I'm like, I'm in love with you. <laughs> Let's be best friends. What did you like about those profiles that you mentioned? What, what inspired you? What, you know, what got you interested? So I think, um, the accessibility that they offer in terms of breaking things down, Maddie Willens is someone that talks a lot. Um, uh, like quite holistically about practice, which I'm a big believer in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so she does like the functional skin. So it um, literally talks about uh, functional gut health, skin health and everything like that. Um, and then that was something, that was a new learning opportunity for me. Oh, Kate, you have no idea about skin. Learn about that. It makes sense. Because yeah. if you're treating people's faces, you need to learn about their skin. <laughs> and they're going to ask you about skincare because they always do. So try and give them some information. <laughs> Um, and I think, uh, Alex Pike's got a great following. So just seeing how she's built that and just following, um, people and admiring and, um, not trying to emulate them. I, I really try to make sure that what I'm doing is not the same as someone else. Yeah. You can copy paste someone else's business idea in any aspect of life. It's not going to be successful unless you're finding something that what you're doing speaks volumes to people. Yeah. That X factor, right? You can, you can recreate all the systems and processes and the four walls and all the aesthetics, but if it doesn't have, you know, that energy or, you know, the way that you talk to clients or the way you make them feel about themselves, then it's all just 
you know, it doesn't mean anything really, does it? Exactly. Yeah. So you've always, you've, you can't copy paste someone who's an injector, their profile, how they run the Instagram, how they do their treatments and expect to have the exact same following and outcome. I think it's a lot. Um, I like the algorithms on social media have changed a lot. I think it's a lot harder to find um, genuine following, but I think that's not a bad thing because you don't need to have a lot of followers. Um, engagement's important as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that at the moment, social media, I think through lockdown as well, is it was good to be able to have, um, you know, a lot of other injectors. We're all chatting every day, checking on each other um, and posting positive things for ourselves and for our clients, you know. Yeah, it's, it's so, a nice community, yeah. isn't it? We sort of, we're this kind of little fringe, weird niche of doctors and nurses and, you know, other allied professionals. And I think we all kind of, back each other we're all kind of in the same camp we all understand each other's frustrations and successes and it's nice you know I speak to plenty of people around the world that I've never met but I could probably say they're my friends even though I don't you know know them know them because we sort of support each other it's nice I think that's the good side of technology these days is that connectedness you know you'll see um Dr Walker and you know all these sort of people from the UK that are back working and they we've not as um, impacted by COVID as what we have and it's um, or even just what the impacts were, they were able to, we were able to see it and then that able was able to give us some hope, <laughs> some positivity in those dark few months there. Yeah. Tell us about um, the channels that you use. So you mentioned Instagram. Do you use Facebook at all for, for any of your I, advertising? I have only just started Facebook, uh, which is probably more influenced by going out on my own and where are people going to find me that yeah. aren't on Instagram. There yeah. are people, and I have clients. I have clients that aren't on social media at all. Yes. Yeah. So is, that an, is that an I age think, thing, do you think? Or is it just a demographic, like is it a certain type of person or is it purely age? Because I find that um, like I do bonsai on the side and I find that like all the people on like a lot of the older people don't use Instagram and, and bonsai is generally done by older people. Um, so <laughs> I find this might be industry specific as well. Have you any insights there? Yeah, I think that um, there definitely is as well as there's just like the mum age where they just don't have time to be on social media. Mm. So it's not relevant for them. Um, Facebook has a lot more groups, I guess. So sometimes people use different branches of social media for different things. Yeah. TikTok is something I think I'm way too old for, but I've been trying to do. <laughs> if you're too old, we're bloody ancient. Did you see Jake's TikTok? <laughs> Did you see his TikTok a few weeks ago? Was it a few weeks ago or was it about a month ago? I don't know. I think I've only got like one or two TikToks. I yeah. did see you do one. I think it was at the start of lockdown. Yeah, um, that was before I, he I went mad. You should see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But tell us tell us how you use TikTok. Like, you know, some people will know, some people won't. What What is it and, and how are you using it for your injecting sort of marketing and business? Um, so TikTok is a video-based pl- um, platform. So it does short kind of um, videos. And you can use like all those fun filters and transitions and tech savvy video stuff that I really don't know how to use. <laughs> um, but it offers it for free and in a platform that for me as a non-tech savvy person, it, it, it means that I can have cool videos without having to do 900 things. Because mm. um, it's, it's an easier platform to be able to manipulate. Uh, it, you can put in backing sounds and tracks and over um, speaking as well. Um, I use it as kind of like a fun little quick accessible way to uh, relay information 
Um, and uh, just, you know, I've done some with after videos of lips and I've done some that are just funny. Yeah. So from that perspective, how does that differ from an Instagram story? Because there'll be people listening going, well, I can do that on Instagram. Yeah. So I think actually I was reading something on social media platforms the other day that I think Instagram is favouring uh, video content. Yeah. So the algorithm is shifting for that at the moment. So I have of TikTok. <laughs> trying to take over market share from back from TikTok. You're yeah. correct. Yeah. Um, which makes sense, of course. Why wouldn't they? Um, so I believe I would. I've just been put, posting the same thing on both. I make it on TikTok and then I put it on a reel on Instagram. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then I think Instagram still will always have a platform because you've got your, you know, your accessible content on terms of being able to have more of a speech blurb. Yeah. Um, and provide those still images, which are still still really important as well because. I, I think I personally, maybe it's my age category. I'm not going to go find my next hairdresser on TikTok. <laughs> Fair enough. How much time do you spend planning your social media posts? I mean, is it something you just sort of, you know, come up with an idea on the spot and go, yeah, let's go? Or, or is it you put a lot of time into sort of really, you know, sort of planning things out to the nth degree? I would love to tell you that I've got a plan, but I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I literally have a basic kind of um, aesthetic profile that I tend to follow Mm -hmm. um, so that it looks not like rubbish. Um, Obviously, a lot of it's pink. (laughs) Why not? And, yeah, so I tend tend to sort of just um, rotate a variety of images. Um, I like to not keep it just cosmetic-based. I think that people like to engage in things that aren't just – pictures of big lips in their face all the time. So I'll, I'll do like informational things, that skin, um, you know, anything beauty. And then I'll do just nice lifestyle quotes and lifestyle pictures. People love pictures of my dogs. So I tend to yeah. <laughs> post them. I don't know if you guys have seen them, yeah. but two uh, mini dash outs. Can't, uh, can't go a wrong. Lot of- yeah. Can't who who doesn't like a bit of cuteness in the yeah, world? Yeah, exactly. What, what, and he, I think I think my kids get I'd, more likes than I'd ever get as well. So, yeah, definitely. Exactly. And that's probably from all the mums and then just people that kids are cute. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to we've got to use these strategies as well. These are our, just these wheel are them our, out um, when I'm needing yeah. some likes. <laughs> yeah. Come on, perform, this children. Is, perform. That's all the nappies that I've just changed for you. Yeah. It's a resource at your disposal. You'd be stupid not to use it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I just I think my my Instagram pro- profile is definitely much a reflection of my. Um, personality and who I am and I think that's what we have to offer as different individual injectors um, you know your clients are not going to come to me and expect and want the same experience as what I offer and it's not because we don't do the same treatments and can both treat a cabala it's just about the whole experience that you offer as well yeah totally We're, we've spoken about that a few times it's the x factor it's the the trust and the bonding and the, and and the whole package and you know people will come presumably to you through your instagram because they thought you were funny they resonated with that and then they checked out your work and you know and then they booked in that's just how life yeah. works yeah it's as much about your personality and, and them liking you as, as much as liking your work i think yeah yeah 100 percent so in terms of um, the way that you approach a new client, I think this is something, especially for new injectors, um, sometimes grapple with, especially they're coming in maybe into a chain clinic where there's an expectation that, you know, so they're seeing a certain number of clients or things need to be done within a certain time frame. So as a new injector, 
Um, how do you? How did you approach clients, and how has your practice changed as sort of the way you do it now? Because I think it's perhaps sometimes a bit of an, an over overlooked skill. Everyone wants to get straight into the technical, but you know those sort of initial conversations. I'm not sure if you agree, Jake. Are, are pretty important. Yeah, look, I'm sure Caitlin can tell us. But when I did training, and I think every injector I've ever met has done training, they don't get taught how to consult. They get taught how to to inject uh, by mm. and large, and and that's just a failing of of the whole industry I guess you know it's it's one thing to be able to put a needle in the skin and, and sort of deliver some product but what about the why the story and you know like you said um, with the MD codes the emotional motivations for why is that patient on your bed why have they come today why didn't they come a year ago something always yeah. provokes a patient to come um, and if you get into that then 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 there's so many more treatment possibilities I think because they'll open up they'll tell you everything and then you know you break down those barriers, the trust is formed and, and away you go. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. I think it is an overlooked uh, skill that it, everyone can always learn more about. And we don't get to see anyone else's consultations either. We look, do a, watch a lot of live injecting. You can see everyone else's before and afters on <laughs> social media. We don't advertise or put out our consultations, do we? Um, I don't really follow a pro forma. I don't, I just organically like to see how the conversation rolls with the client. Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously medical background, I know how to use an ISBAR format. If I were to want to get information out of them or relay information or an MSE, which is a mental state evaluation. What was the first thing you said? I didn't hear that. The the ISBAR. Ah, ISBAR. Okay. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Is bar, so like information, why you're here, situation, background. Um, I tend to somewhat follow that platform, but also while doing that would do an MSC, which is your mental state evaluation. Mm-hmm. It's really important these days when we're talking about um, body dysmorphia to if you, you know, if the client says, oh, I just had a massive breakup. <laughs> massive um, I'd red be flag. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, red flag. Like I think Dr. Naomi did some cute pictures about that recently too. Um, so the red flag comes up and you're like, I almost put down the syringe and, and I don't morally feel like today's the day you're getting new lips because this is not the reason why you come in for a cosmetic um, injectable treatment, Yeah, in my opinion. Uh, so, I mean, you may very well want to do a post-breakup glow-up and whatnot, but I think it's always about assessing the context of what brings the client in. Yeah. Um, is it an emotional reason? Is it um, they finally got the, the courage to come in and have a chat? I always find that I congratulate clients on that when they say, I've been thinking about this for ages. I finally got up the courage to come in. And I was like, well, this is obviously going to be a life-changing moment for you because you're going to be young and beautiful forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also, I I think it, yeah, it's one of those things that clients will deliberate and have that conversation with themselves 10 times before they come into the door. And if a client comes in and they're really not sure about what they want done, I'm I'm very hesitant to feed them what they need to have done because- You never ever need a, um, you never need a medical treatment, and you never need a cosmetic treatment um, in our in our clinics because even if it is a medical um, type of treatment we're doing or an intervention, it's always cosmetic and it's always an elective option. There's nothing that we're doing that is going to save a life. So just making sure um, that clients understand that it's an elective procedure. Um, and discussing the variety of options. I'd like to see clients a couple times over. So if they say, I want all of my Botox done, I'm ready to invest five mils in my face. 
I go, great, okay, but let's stage your transition and your changes because I think it's very confronting to change one aspect on your face because you'll get hypercritical about yourself, mm. um, let alone changing all of them. Even though, it, you know, the, some of these makeovers can be rapidly transformative and beautiful, it's sometimes, you know, first time ever getting injecting. I think it's super, super overwhelming to do that. So I always try and um, wean out of the patient what's driven them to come in and um, what they're hoping to achieve. I think that early on in my injecting career, I never um, gave that much credit to realistic expectations <laughs> and um, discussing what we both agree is an ideal treatment outcome. Um, and if they show me certain images of, you know, some famous Kardashians, then I will sit back down and again put the syringe down and talk about <laughs> how we cannot spend millions of dollars on surgery and, <laughs> um, in, and that the syringe can only achieve what the syringe can achieve. Yeah. How do you deal with those awkward moments where you're basically saying no sometimes? I mean, can you give us any examples of where it's gone quite awkward, quite bad, led to a complaint, or do, do most of your patients sort of go, okay, you're the expert, no worries? Because that, you yeah. know, many, many injectors that, um, find that really difficult. Yeah, it's it's a far more a progressive thing that clients come in and tell us what they want these days which I think is scary. Um, but also we've got to be the professionals in learning how to deal with that. I definitely didn't deal with it well in my early days. I know specifically of a time where a client left crying because I refused to do fillers mm. when she just had something dissolved from um, an adverse event. Yeah. And it was it was really confronting to rem- – I can specifically remember the client and the whole situation. And I was like hot and sweaty. It was like it was a – um, a met call or something and it was just this patient not knowing like just demanding and begging and crying for fillers and I was like there's something so wrong in this situation that yeah. this is the conversation that we're having it's like a child's died but for this woman she doesn't have the insight and perspective to see that yeah this is inappropriate for what she's asking for the reaction that she's having emotionally so I then looked a lot more into how can we manage this? And I, you know, we've all, in our training as nurses, done mental health, it's part of the curriculum. So just referring back to those skills that we learn and trying to apply them in a more conscious way about saying, you know, do you think that perhaps you're um, prioritising something that is not necessarily, um, that should be this way, way this importantly to you? Um, is there a reason why that this, aesthetic outcome is so desired and so important for you um and then just knowing where to point them to as well is really important there's um quite a few lifelines and um specific you know practitioners around that uh help with certain issues that arise in our chairs yeah yeah that's i think it's sometimes it's it's easy to say yes it's not it's not easy to say no especially when you know, everyone's got financial pressures. As you said, this is a business as well as being a medical treatment, as well as being, you know, a cosmetic treatment. I mean, it's sort of it's it's sort of hybrid niche industry where you're sort of dealing with people on, on, on different levels at the same time. And I can understand and empathise with people that are in their own practices or just starting out and don't have any clients who've got, you know, the courage to be able to say no or even just the insight on when to say no. It's, it's such an mm. important skill. Yeah. And... I guess the other dynamic, and maybe you saw it more in in the chain clinic setting, I don't know, and I guess you'll see what happens when you go out, is that patients hop around. They, mm. they, they 
often don't see the value in their injector, their their price hunting and so on. And, you know, they will get burnt and they'll get a bad experience eventually. And then they sort of end up on your doorstep and say, fix me, fix me. <laughs> uh, and and yeah. often that, again, involves a difficult conversation. Well, we're going to potentially do some dissolving or maybe I can't. Maybe you've got a permanent filler. I've seen that quite a bit um, from people mm. who had um, a particular product in their lips years ago. So it, it's awkward. And, and, and you're the sort of the gatekeeper for these people and they see you as the barrier. So yeah, I, I think your your previous sort of experience and and working with patients who are very sick and maybe delivering bad news and all that rest of it, all of those skills have probably really helped you if you think about it. Whereas yeah. if you've never had that experience, you just sort of yeah. like you said, it's easy to say yes and no sometimes if you if you've if you've yeah. never been in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. You are right. So relating it back to like my first where I did my graduate was Peter Mac, so working in oncology. And um, being involved in the tough conversations where a surgeon will open close and not proceed. And it's really hard because I guess that is them saying, no, this is not going to achieve your outcome. But mm. similar, that's what we're faced with. And it is it is awful sometimes assimilating those two comparisons, but we're medical professionals that are giving a reason to not proceed with treatment. Mm. And um, in regards to the clients at Dr. Shop, I, I see that. You definitely see that a lot in chain clinics. I think everywhere will eventually experience that. Yeah. Um, even in individual practices, it's, I think, particularly post-lockdown. I have had clients message me today being like, oh, do you have an appointment next week? And it's like, it's been three months. I was booked out for two weeks when we went into lockdown. <laughs> you are not going to get in with me next week. Yeah. And if you can get in with someone next week, and it's not a new clinic because um, obviously I'm opening up new clinic days, so that's made my availability better. But if it's and they're an injector that's been around for a while, it has an opening. Do you worry? Probably a reason why. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not because they had the whole day cancelled on them. Especially if they're offering um, a group on Scoopon. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> So I, I have that discussion with clients because you can pick them. You can pick them. You'd know, Jake. You probably don't get them. So I just sat, I just have that conversation. I'm like, you do realize that by shopping for the cheapest price and me giving you the minimum dose, you're actually spending more money because if you sat down and stayed with one injector, mm. then you're going to get better results. You're not going to have to go and get your tox done every six weeks because it wears off quicker. I will come back and see you, come back and see me in two weeks for a review. Then we can understand what's gone good and what's gone bad and what you want to change about your treatment Yeah, um, and just try and build that loyalty and rapport. And I honestly could say I know of at least two clients that have now changed their um, cosmetic regime and um, listened to that because they were shopping to this doctor for that because he would do this till tear trough when she said no. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and because you've come to me to have that dissolved, do you see the whole problem about this situation. Yeah, it's, it's hard it's not- for our patients and, and it's hard for us injectors because we don't have a formal qualification. We don't have any names, uh, sorry, letters after our name to prove that, you know, we're legit. So patients resort to Instagram and, and Google reviews and, and Facebook forums because they've got nowhere else to go. And us injectors kind of also go to those mediums, you know, we've just spoken about social media because yeah. how else do we do it? So it's it's hard. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, any any tips on what you tell your patients to look out for when they're looking for someone reputable? I mean, obviously they've come to you, but you know, when you have that sort of conversation about hopping around and stuff. Yeah. So I think it's always important to make sure um, that they 
the person is obviously a registered nurse or a doctor <laughs> or dentist or dermatologist, whichever medical profession they have started with. Um, not that I think that you'd be possible to not be a medical based um, practitioner in Australia. I'm sure there's some horror stories, but making sure that they, you know, are finding someone that's safe, that understands policies and procedures, that um, has the emergency drugs on hand that we need to reverse and if there were to be an allergic reaction. Um, I think a lot of clients don't understand that the majority of the fillers that we use these days in Australia are dissolvable mm. and it's for a reason. Um, and if if the person doesn't have that dissolving agent on hand, they shouldn't be using any fillers that day. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's really hard. You are right to say, I'll look for a, X, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, because there isn't – I'm, I'm excited for um, – what's to come with thing with associations such as the ACN because I think there will be in the next five to ten years some kind of pro forma on um, and protocol on what sort of training we are required to have and I think some annual sort of stuff would be good. Who are the ACN? Do you mean CNA? The cosmetic CNA, nurses? Yeah, sorry. Okay. Oh, so many acronyms these days it's <laughs> you can't keep oh, up with them all. So CNA is a cosmetic right? nurse association. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and between both of my jobs, there's I'm, I'm, I'm subscribed to about five different <laughs> yeah. types of affiliations as well. So a- ACN is one that I am subscribed to, but for a different reason, Australian College of Nursing. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I don't know if you remember last year, there was this sort of global yeah. uh, hoo-ha amongst injectors and patients that coming out of lockdown – Lots of patients were saying, my toxin isn't working anymore. I'm resistant and, uh, you know, it's not working and I want to refund and all this drama. And I'm sure David had oh, yeah. uh, was involved in that. I, I actually didn't see any Ooh. patients like that. I was lucky, but many, many injectors across the world, it wasn't just Australian specific, had that problem. Did, did you see that at all? Yeah, I definitely did. It was um, an interesting phenomenon. I will obviously be... My first day back injecting is Friday, and yeah. I think that I'm going to be. That's what I'm asking because you're you're going back again to the same situation. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, not that we, I would be overdosing clients to back to I mean above their usual one, but we do know that there's obviously a baseline um, of retreating, and then I find that there's always your initial therapeutic dose. So, say a glabella initially, the first time you treat someone, it takes 30 units. Um, when they've been coming every two years, every three months. Uh, it probably only can it can tolerate twelve, maybe sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you'd just be doing that assessment on your muscles and knowing that we need to probably add back to the, your rather than re, doing your retreatment dose, we need to do your therapeutic doses in each area again. Yeah, totally. Um, and just making sure that you're following up on reviews. I think I was really bad after the last big lockdown we had in Melbourne last year, where I just let clients go back out into the world because <laughs> uh, we were so busy and we had some. Um, we had some weird rule as well, I think, last year where you couldn't treat under the mask. So you could only treat their upper face. Yeah, and then yeah. the next month we're allowed to do under the mask treatments. Um, so when they were coming back for their fillers, they're like, oh, I've got some movement. And I was like, oh, why didn't you tell me? Oh, I didn't have a review booked in. We don't do reviews anymore. Hmm. So I think this time I'll be making sure I am booking those reviews. Um, and following up with uh, my patients to make sure that they're getting that therapeutic result again as well. Um, there are there have just been some weird ones. So I don't know if something's changed for some clients medically. So maybe there was something that um, 
meant that that the, the, the treatments weren't effective. Yeah. I know there's some studies that have said something to do with zinc, make, meaning that um, your botulinum toxin can be less effective. Yeah. Maybe they were. Well, that's interesting because actually some of the. I don't know if I can quote a study, but some people would say that if you load up on zinc five days before your mm. toxin and five days after, you get better efficacy and better longevity. Huh. So, yeah. I, so I, I, I can't tell you the dose, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, now it's out there. Everyone's going to be doing that. Yeah. Um, oh, zinc <laughs> sales are going to go through the roof yes, in Sydney now. We just got blacklisted by all the pharma companies. <laughs> <laughs> better results. Um, and they'll come back for more yeah, eventually. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think as well, it might be, a, you know, an idea to swap between the different brands as much as they probably don't like us saying that either. But um, I, I was talking to a doctor about that today and we're working together and we can't understand why that would be a reason, you know, it doesn't make sense. The science doesn't make sense. I know a lot of injectors do and patients yeah. will come you back. You are correct. You are yeah. correct. The, brot- the brotillion toxin type A is so not swapping to, between a type A and a type B. Yes. Um you know, we are talking like the the byproducts that they're um, compounded with that are very are, are nothing significant that should mean that one works better than the other. Correct. But um, like I know injected, uh, is it injected bunny? I've, I was reading someone else um, overseas in the US saying something similar, and she just kept rotating clients yeah. every three treatments. She'd swap between the different brands, Botox and Dysport. That's and then interesting. I, you would experience it know as well, Jake, that there's some clients that just you can give them Dysport and it just doesn't work. And same with Botox. And they've got their brand that works for them. And if you try and vary it, it doesn't have the result it does. And use the one and they're all seemingly happy. They come back. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I obviously hear random examples where they say that one didn't do anything and yeah. this one magically did and I think we all have to put our hands up and say I can't explain that it's just mm. bizarre it's not an exact science yeah. it's not an exact science I mean I, I, I truthfully think and obviously I can't prove this that you know injectors can have a a bad I think human error c- can can play more of a part than the product so I have seen this where people have sort of um, you know picked up an empty bottle of uh, Botox thinking it was one they'd opened and put the saline in obviously there's nothing in there apart from saline and gone to use it i'm like well hold on you've just mixed up your bottles there so they could have just delivered saline and then they would have said oh you're now resistant because the the botox (laughs) didn't work so things like that can easily happen and i think they're way more explainable than ah you're suddenly resistant but now you work to the other brand Um, yeah i I was thinking that too and even just variations in your dilutions between yeah um the products or even just you know the cold chain factor as well. It needs to be kept in the fridge. Should you leave it out all day? It's, you know, but even then, anecdotally, we know that that's not really an issue. Like, I I think (laughs) all injectors know know that's not probably true. Well, is that, is that, is that a, is that a, a myth that you don't need to keep it cold? Oh, you, you should, that would be like the, what would be recommended, but, you know, I know injectors that have accidentally left it out or the, you know, the postman left it in the front and, and it didn't get in the fridge in time. They used it on their friends and family because they didn't use it on a paying patient and there was no problem. Wow. Okay. So, you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, don't get that, don't get me wrong, disclaimer, you should follow <laughs> the PI. <laughs> you but, could lose thousands of dollars of product if you listen to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, th- there were rumours floating around, you know, oh, Australia was extremely hot, you know, after lockdown or whatever. So that might have been reason why. Mm. I think it's nonsense. I just don't believe that. 
Yeah, I'd be interested to see if it, if I if there's that recurring pattern again this time. Yeah. I don't think so. I, 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 my theory is that the Zoom face thing got people super in tune with their face. They got mm. hypercritical. Now everyone's used to Zoom. No one gives a crap, and they're just going to accept their results. And injectors are going to be a bit more savvy, like you said, and actually think a bit more about. Well, you haven't been here in six months. Maybe we'll nudge you up a little bit because you know we need to get you back to baseline before you yeah. go to your maintenance dose and yeah. and so on. Yeah, might have had some people. Yeah. Uh, trying to get freebies too. There might be some people out there that are a little bit dishonest that maybe want to get some free shit. Just saying, maybe. (laughs) Maybe they exist. You you said it, not me. (laughs) Maybe they exist. (laughs) They definitely exist. We attract them all at one stage. Yeah, Um, well, they all share. I was going to say, they all share (laughs) their stories online. So it it spreads. They go on forums. This is how you get free Botox. Just say it more off quick. (laughs) They're giving them away. Probably. So you reckon someone said it on a forum? Oh, I just know that people, you know, get online and share strategies to get stuff for free. I've seen them. Really? Yeah, there are Facebook groups yeah. out there and people will tell their friends and, you if know. If that ever happens in our um, clinic as well, we I, I, I'll refuse to treat them again. So I say, okay, you can get a free treatment, but not from me. So you apparently yeah. didn't like my techniques. So that means you're stuck with another injector. Oh, fair enough though. Like, you know, if someone voices, uh, I don't like your work or what you did didn't work, I think as an injector to just diffuse the whole situation you say no worries i take it on the chin i just won't treat you again and then yeah. it just it just stops that whole vicious cycle yeah yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that you touched on was the um uh, reviews so uh, post treatment reviews and i think that as you said I, I i see that a lot of injectors start really diligently with this and then as they get busier and they need more time to inject that's the first thing that gets sacrificed is is reviews and i understand um commercially like it makes sense that you know while you you want to make as much time available for making money as possible, right? Um, but I can't help but think that there's something that's really valuable that's potentially lost when you're not reviewing your clients. You know, when you when you do things that aren't great, um, picking them up before they become a bigger problem, having that conversation with client to identify, you know, they haven't complained, but they're really not that happy, but they just didn't want to say anything. But, you, you know, you're there, you're having that conversation, you can see it, they can see it, maybe they feel more comfortable talking about it. So just curious to get your insights into, you know, you know do you agree? Um, I guess with the value of, of the post post treatment reviews and, and where do you think they should sit in terms of how often you know people are doing them? Do you need them for every client? Do you need it just for fillers? Is tox important? Just just generally, let, let's have a bit of a chat and you know, keen to hear Jake's opinions as well. Caitlin first, yes, yeah. So as I said, I'll definitely be doing them. I think with majority of clients um, post lockdown, people are hesitant as well to commit to a, you know another review in two weeks. Sometimes their time is more precious than ours. Yeah, um, that's true. So they, I think that I will try and really push that. I might even look at doing it as a Zoom or FaceTime consult. Yeah, good idea. Um, and review. I try with my long-term clients um, and when I'm building a new long-term client to have an ongoing treatment plan where it's not just you come in and I see when you decide to book an appointment. It's We've seen you today, your budget allows that you'll be getting your tox every three, four months. And then we'll plan that every six months we'll do some kind of maintaining um, dermal filler treatment as well, whether that's to maintain cheek structure or um, jaw lines, lips, whatever, if it's something fun uh, or foundational is what I refer to it in my consultations, in my reviews. Um, I think that definitely with first-time clients, always like to get them back two weeks and if it's a new area that we're treating or if we've done something slightly different. Um, and 
you know, social media is a good way to touch base, but it's not a medical consultation. It's not, um, you know, a, a, you don't have that your you, you don't have that physical face to face engagement to see how the muscles are activating. Um, but I do make it accessible so that if there is an adverse event or something that goes wrong, or if clients just aren't sure because it's something new that's happened, um, their muscles are acting slightly different because they've had lower or less or new new dose areas um, that they're able to you know have a way to touch base and discuss any concerns that they have in a promptly manner. Yeah, funny you mentioned reviews. I was just as I was driving here, I treated a new patient. Uh, about a week ago, mm. and she messaged, uh, not angry at all, but she said, um, oh, I've had my eyebrows microbladed since seeing you, and they've now changed. I was like, no shit. You've uh. changed your eyebrows and they've changed. So anyway, I think she, whatever's happened, you know, I'm happy to see her, but it, it, it's interesting how patients sort of perceive things yeah. sometimes. You yeah. know, you, you've painted on new eyebrows and, and now they've changed. Well, so, uh, if she's listening to this, she might not be no, coming back. She <laughs> no, we each had a bit of a joke about it. I was like, well, sure. I mean, that kind of makes sense that you've now literally yeah. changed the border of your eyebrows. But I'm um, you happy to remind, see you. Yeah. You've just reminded me that I need to be really strict on these aftercare instructions and yes. no facials for a week and all that sort of stuff again because I forgot that in the post-lockdown phase, everyone just wants everything now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. making sure that we have our clients adhering to those timelines. Yeah. I actually have to say, uh, going back to the consult again, I think if, the, if you consult really well, you, you talk about their photography, their mild asymmetries, and you tell mm -hmm. them exactly what's going to happen with their toxin, you know, not every wrinkle is going to go and, you know, roughly what to expect. I think that diffuses a lot of those, you know, inappropriate reviews. You know, a, re yeah. a review is also, sorry, is always useful, but a lot of anxious patients come sort of unnecessarily so yeah, if you can sort of consult I well to, i would prefer to have the anxious patient then and dismay them than have the patient say oh it's just bruising and it'd be a vascular oh, of course of course yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> sure and you know as an injector just make yourself really available you know just give them yeah. your card your number check in yeah. say to them don't be embarrassed to call me if you're not quite sure what's going on you can always book a free 15 minute chat with me no dramas i'll just hang on at the end of the day if i'm too busy to see you in the middle of the day you know just make it casual yeah. but but sort of make a point of saying you can definitely come yeah um and that's kind of a way around of blocking your day off of just reviews. Yeah. Um, but you're right. For new patients, I think it's sort of mandatory that they come back, have a quick catch up. They get the deal. They know what to expect. You can talk to them about any, you know, spocking or anything that, you know, may have happened and then sort of build their confidence from there. Yeah. Um, we spoke about the clients that come in and tell you what to do. I want this many mils of this product in this place and you're going to use this technique. You know, like those people exist. How do you take something like that to then talking to them about a treatment plan? How do you sort of navigate those waters? I always take it back to, this is not a retail store. You're not buying lip um, gloss. This is buying a lip treatment. I'm a medical professional. I'm happy to consult you and discuss what I think um, you could potentially benefit from, but let's not refer to areas as purchasable um, features on your face. That's good. This is about... Um, your specific beauty and what we want to do to enhance that. Um, a good reference point for that would be Anita East's book, um, yep. Beautiful Unique Faces, yeah. because there are that prevalence of people coming in and asking for two mils of cheek and, 
a snatched jawline and then they do have that but it doesn't suit their face or their personality so that everyone ends up looking like the same <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and how do people take those conversations i mean how do they respond yeah. is it is it like some people that just tell you to get lost and they walk out and never come back and write a horrible review or do most people sort of you know thanks for being honest Look, i appreciate I, you pushing back and i'll listen to what you have to say it goes both ways, let's mm-hmm. be honest. Um, but those consultations are a consultation for me on a prospective client as much as it is for me being the person that can give them what they want. Um, so there definitely are people that are like, no, I'm asking for this. I'm paying for it. You've got to do it. Um, but then also that's where I think I'm happy to step out of the chain clinic a little bit because I want to attract the kind of clients that like the aesthetics that I like doing on people. Um, the natural done you can still do some fun things without um you know going over the top um so it's just about and also yeah like I said before with that mental uh, assessment is why why do you want two meals of cheek is it because you want to look like a Kardashian because cool I'll take your money but I won't even do the cheek filler because either way you're not going to look like her (laughs) um you know so you know, not not in that harsher bitch tone, but it's like, well, realistically, that is not going to achieve that. If you're trying to have a more sculpted face, maybe let's discuss this treatment. Um, if you're trying to, you know, have a less tired appearance, like, you know, trying to get down to the reason why they're wanting to purchase this particular treatment or trying to prescribe me a particular treatment to give to them. <laughs> well, I think that's a failing of our industry. It's, it's how a lot of clinics choose to advertise like you know sexy cheeks and luscious lips for x amount of dollars it, it it you know i don't know if people take that too literally but it sells a bit of a dream and a and a image of what you're going to get for two meals and it's just nonsense and and like you said you're commoditizing a meal of filler not the skill of the injector or the reason why they're coming or their facial structure or all of that good stuff that you're going to get in a consult it's i don't know it's a bit tacky for me mm. But, yeah, um, it's even commoditizing a, a beautiful feature on a person, I feel like, as well. It's saying we can buy um, these structured um, angular uh, cheekbones. And it's like, actually, that is a specific type of facial feature that someone has it from a genetic trait. Yeah, <laughs> You can try and mimic it, but you're not really going to be able to achieve it on certain faces. Yeah. Um, some people just are never going to have that structured Angelina Jolie jawline. Um, and her lips are quite natural, naturally plump. I don't know if she's had them enhanced, but, you know, I think I try and, and the fox eye trend. Uh, <laughs> not, not a fan? I'm sensing not a fan. No. That's a hard no from <laughs> hard no. me. Hey, explain why. I mean, I, I'm certainly in your camp, but why? Like for the people <laughs> listening who maybe deliver those treatments, what, what's your reasoning? I'm sorry. <laughs> but you won't like what I'm going to say. Um, I I really have an ethical and moral stance against Mm copy-pasting facial features on people. I think it's taking away from the beauty that exists in everyone's face, naturally. Um, We can certainly try and, you know, achieve certain aesthetics and outcomes. But also, uh, so remember when skinny eyebrows were in? Oh, no. That was a crime yeah, against humanity. That was, that was just terrible. And that was just eyebrows. Like yeah. people are getting them tattooed back on yeah. how many years later. We're now having these trends in beauty in 
obviously a lot of our treatments are um, semi-reversible, but it's the damage that you're doing to yourself by someone easily saying, yeah, let's just wax off your whole eyebrow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that's what I try and think about. And I relate that to clients like, yeah, you know how you have tattooed eyebrows because, you know, back in those days you got rid of them. Uh, we're not going to be able to easily change your facial features completely. That's going to be like tens to twenties to multiple surgeries in a facial surgeon's um, clinic before yeah. we reverse a lot of this damage, especially because, you know, that the psychology of, oh, I bought this. Okay, next I'll buy this. Yeah. So it's not I'm just buying cheeks. It's then this looks weird. So, oh, maybe my cheeks look weird because there's too much in there. <laughs> I look like a cabbage patch doll. <laughs> oh, so now I'm going to spend five mils on my jawline because that must then balance out these features and it's realistically like yeah. you just didn't hate you to have those two mils to start with. And then you look like Mr. Potato Head and you, yeah. your face becomes so big. Yeah, 100%. Oh, it's, it's an alien. It's like alien versus predator sometimes walking down the streets. <laughs> I've seen some fox eyes and, and these are from the UK. They, they've obviously put a thread in, yanked up the mm. tail of the brow and I, I don't understand it. They've got all this skin bunching, you know, mm. upper close so, to the temple where they've yanked the skin and, and everything up yeah. and, and they show these in the after photos like it's some sort of wow treatment and you're like, you have fucked up this girl's face now. But that's the thing. When they're looking at this part. They're yes. just ignoring the whole... They can just hide it with the hair or something. Yeah. And it makes no sense. And I always say to clients and they've been like, oh, do you do thread lifts? Is there someone you could recommend? And it's like, uh, one, do you have the money to pay for the treatment to reverse this when it doesn't work yeah. or it goes bad? <laughs> because the threads are these um, surgical thread threads that are sitting quite deep in your facial plane and to fish them out, I'm, it's not going to cost you less than ten grand. Yeah, and, and in the meantime, you might have some weird asymmetry. Yeah, and let's um, hope they don't prang your facial nerve putting it in as well. Yeah, exactly. I just, I'm, yeah, I just all two people that do it and do an amazing job. Um, I can't say that I've seen some amazing jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I just also the pro, the thing is, what happens with the fibers? They don't fully break down, surely. Um, I've seen a client that's got like a bold up bit of thread in her cheek and she asked me to cover it up with filler and I was like, mm. this makes no sense, fixing a dodgy problem. It's not a car. It's just like bogging up a door on a car. Yeah, but, but you know, but it, th that is the patient insight into the complexity and sophistication of what we do. They don't understand it. And yet they, they come in, they, they make demands on what you should be doing and yet they have no idea about anything. So... You know, if you're an injector listening and sometimes you feel on the back foot, just try and not assert your authority, but try and be the expert. Just yeah. educate them. Yeah. And and never yeah. do anything that feels weird because, you know, yeah. it is weird. Yeah. yeah. And I think in the patient... If it, if, if, if it feels weird, it shouldn't happen. And yeah. I think that's the whole thing with threads. Yeah. Um, I think that what I try to explain to them is like, okay, cool, you really want to have a blepharoplasty done. And like, oh, no, no, just a thread. I'm like... No, no, no. The proper treatment is a blepharoplasty where we remove this skin or an eye lift where they replace this skin back here. Yeah. Like, oh, that would cost too much. I was like, okay, well, this isn't a treatment for you then. Yeah. yeah. Because You can't get some string and super glue and hope for yeah. the best. It's education, isn't it? I mean, who's to blame? I mean, it's the media who sort of portray these people as, you know, role models that we should all look up to and want to look like. And then, as you said, the way that we advertise 
our business. Many of us, you know, have commoditized these certain things. So, you yeah. know, we've, we've kind of only got ourselves to blame a little bit. So I think there is some empathy from me to these patients. It's just they've been brainwashed and it's lack of education and it's our job to, yeah. to educate them, I think. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's offering back the education as a retort, not just a hard no, which is probably the more professional and mature way of dealing it <laughs> yeah. rather than but maybe it's like, a- Sorry, I was going to say, maybe to end, you can give us a flavour of your next step. You, you said you're branching out and, and sort of doing something yeah. new. Tell us. So I will be um, operating out of an exist- two existing businesses uh, in my local area. So South Yarra, there is this beautiful place that I used to always spend my days off getting pampered. It's called Soak Bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a literal bar where you can sit out and have your nails done. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> as well as they offer a lot of other beauty services. So I'll be um, injecting there on a Monday um, and I will obviously not be allowing any of my clients to have any alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a only. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other clinic I'll be working at is this beautiful holistic medical practice. It's called This Is Life Wellness in Elwood. Um, so there are still be doing cosmetic treatments, but we do offer some medical treatments for clients that have chronic migraines, um, and things like that. So there's chiropractors, there's neuropaths, uh, naturopaths and, um, nutritional people there and psychologists and spiritual healers and all sorts of fun medical to woo-woo, um, practitioners there. So be interested to know like- if you're going to get any patients from that patient group that maybe not there might be people sort of a bit anti um you know injectables and anti toxins and, and all the rest of it well they can't be anti-vax so they can't go and have treatments can they true um true well they wait till december so, 1st maybe <laughs> well i don't know i'm pretty sure dan andrews said that that if they wait that's not they're not waiting for freedom so yeah. he isn't he sending everyone freedom. isn't he sending all, everyone that doesn't get vaxxed to jail <laughs> he seems pretty hardcore. I've just been in jail for three months, so probably. Yeah, gosh. Um, yeah, no. So they're actually, you know, it's it's in Albert. It's in a nice affluent area. I think there's a lot of people that have, um, you know, issues and concerns, and then they're dealing it from a multimodal um, place, which I, I appreciate. I think it's good. Yeah. Um, I believe in a little bit of woo-woo stuff. I've got crystals around my house. You can't see them in this office, so they're behind me. <laughs> um, and I have crystals in some of my clinics too. Um, yeah. Tell me about so, that. How does that work? Tell me. <laughs> you well, what's the theory that? anyway? Well, it's apparently um, – so they are a – like crystals have been around forever and apparently they absorb certain energies and then they give that back out so they can heal or they can – um, block or they can promote, add, etc. Interesting. Okay. We should get some yeah. crystals for the studio. Maybe. Should maybe. We yeah, should, we'll get some props in here. Do some <laughs> some, some good woo woo energy in here. Yeah. Well, we are going to do a bit of a refurb eventually. Yeah, we will. We're going to ask you some questions. We're going to ask every yes. injector. Yep. Oh. So let's do it. Where the hell are the questions? There we go. <laughs> you can ask David. Okay. So so these are just first answer that comes to your mind. Not too much thought. So just a you know quick fire response. So, what is okay. your number one toxin and why? Like area or brand? no no brand? Oh, Botox. Uh, it's the first one I was trained on. I just find it it's more reliable. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. 
what is your favorite filler and why go <laughs> um, it's got to be I'm one. Loving Kiss for lips. And that's by Gal Derma? Yeah. Why do you like it? Tell us. I just like that it doesn't look like rubber in lips. Um, <laughs> okay. Even though mine have got a rubbery glow on them at the moment, that's lip gloss, not a filler. Um, yeah. And there's been, I've had less issues with it. Not that I've had issues with the other brands, but um, it doesn't last eight years like some of the other brands. Okay, fair enough. Excellent. What is your go-to cannula make and size and why? I, I think if um, anyone that has worked in the clinic with me is listening, I only use the TSK. I yes. hate the other one. Um, and I will – I really like the short ones. What are they? They're 25 by 38. 38? Yeah. Yeah, and um, 50s for the rest of the face. 38 has to be for tear troughs. I just – I don't know how you can – have your syringe back here. It's like, I feel like I'm just being a broomstick. <laughs> a lightsaber, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's really confronting for the client anyway, I think, having a cannula in your face, let alone it being all the way back here. Now, the trick um, is tell them, just go to sleep, close your eyes, don't ever yeah, wave stuff around in front of them because it, it will freak oh, anyone yeah, no, out. I'm, that's, yeah, that's it. Never, I never show the needles. I always have them closed. I hate when people keep their eyes open for treatments. I, in fact, tell them to shut them. <laughs> yeah. Go we on. want sleeping beauties that we're treating. Yes. Yeah. Do you have any cool additional items that you use regularly in your treatments? So, like things to reduce pain, distract people, you know, sometimes you tap on the leg or you, mm. anything like that? Yeah. So, this is one of the things that I'm so excited about going out on my own because I'm a baby when I get my own toxin is the bacteriostatic saline mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll change so your life much better and the chain clinics don't i mean might be wrong sorry no they don't uh, don't have it nope uh, i will never ever be able to be injected with botox it's made with saline ever again yeah normal saline stings like an absolute bitch yeah and fine. the bacteriostatic yeah. it's so comfortable it's like night and day so mm. any listeners Isn't who it? haven't tried that i highly recommend it Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to do Friday when I'm in the clinic because I'll probably have to bring my own oh, to mix yeah. <laughs> what, um, what needles do you like injecting your toxins with? Uh, I don't know if you can see them in the background, but the FMS ones. Yeah, the ones. yeah we've got, got the same taste. taste. Yes. They 32 gauge. Or 30. They are yeah. uh, 32 gauge, yeah. that's right. Yeah, Very 32, thin. Yeah. Mm. 32.3s. Yeah, they're, the, they're my favourite. Um, I'm yet to use them for decanting. Do you decant, Jake? Do you no, I don't actually. Yeah, and, and I think 32 care. gauge would be pushing it. You, know, you could probably get a thin filler through like Volbella or something like that. But yeah, I think it would be too too small gauge for anything else. Um, last question, any golden tips for injectors? So anything that you can't do without, um, I don't know, a favourite book that you've read, uh, we touched on favourite course, um, anything that pops into your head that you just thought, oh, I wish I had have known that when I first started my journey. I think that everyone should read um, Anita Beast's book. I think mm-hmm. it's a really beautiful way of explaining that. Um, and she just has a really great way of writing. I like, really respect that. Um, so that would be one. I think, you know, start your business. I was giving this advice, start your business like it'll always end up beyond what it is the day that you start it, yeah. um, which is why Pot Me has been started as Pot Me, not Cosmetic Injectables by Hannah. Yeah, or something like you can that. scale it. Because yeah, scale it, um, which I have, you know, I've got products that I sell online now. Um, and never stop learning. And if it feels weird, don't do it. 
and whether that be while you're injecting or before. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. Just to reference, so Anita East has been a guest on our yes. podcast. It was episode 84 and her book was called mm. Beautiful Unique Faces. Yeah. I believe it's available on Amazon. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It's a great read. She's, uh, I like her philosophy. She's very insightful and um, honest, which was nice. 100%. So thank you so much for your time, Caitlin. It's been a great chat. We've really enjoyed having you as our first Injector Diaries guest. Um, Yay, we'll, for having me. Yeah, we'll, we'll reference uh, your Instagram and TikTok and stuff in the description <laughs> below. Um, any yeah. parting comments, David? No, thank you for your time. It was great to meet you again. Um, hope to see you in Sydney at some stage soon when we get to back to normality. Good luck with all of your new ventures in injecting in these new clinics yeah. and all of your, your side hustles that you've got going on. So good luck <laughs> with all of that. Hope you have a good Christmas and hope oh, to Christmas Jesus it's just around the far away, I was it? in Westfield the other day and they're bringing out the Christmas trees already they were, they were wheeling them out holy shit it's just it's just wow. like yeah yeah mental but anyway thank you thanks guys love you to see you both again thank and you. love you to chat to you all thanks Caitlin <laughs> take care bye bye thank you bye bye for our latest news upcoming guests and episode topics follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast during the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.